This is the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. I'm Andy Kerr, and this week we sadly mourn the passing of a Scottish footballing great in Bertie Auld. I'm joined by Lindsay Hamilton as we look back on the life and career of the wee man with the huge personality. We also take a look at the role of walking football and the impact it can have on the lives of people with dementia by speaking to Matt Ramsey and Blair James. Before we get started, here's this week's dose of trivia for you. How many major honours did Bertie Auld win as a player? We'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast. Robert Auld was born in Mary Hill on the 23rd of March 1938 to Joe and Margaret Auld, the first of eight children, and his early childhood was dominated by the Second World War. Bertie first started playing football in the cobbled streets of North West Glasgow and would join a local junior team, Mary Hill Harp. Harp had been founded out of the ashes of Mary Hill Hibernian in 1939, only a year after Auld was born. Auld's consistent performances in the junior league started to catch the eye of Celtic scouts in the mid-1950s. Celtic had a good relationship with Mary Hill Harp, with the likes of Frank Haffey, Duncan Mackay and Jimmy Quinn having appeared for Harp before going on to wear the hoops of Celtic. And Bertie Auld would be another of these players as Jimmy McGrory signed him in 1955. Despite starting off as a full-back, in his time at Harp he was converted to a winger and by the time he arrived at Celtic he had moved into the centre of midfield, a decision that would pay off big time. A loan spell at Dumbarton came about in season 1956-57 in order to give him regular first-team experience and he returned from Boghead to Celtic Park ready to fit right into the first team. Despite this, Auld had a poor disciplinary record and his tenacity and headstrong nature meant that McGrory found him difficult to control. One example of this came in his Scotland debut against the Netherlands in 1959, when Bertie was sent off by the referee for retaliating against a player he thought had put in too harsh a challenge. This happened in the last few minutes of the game while Scotland were leading 2-1, no less. Incidents like this led the Celtic chairman Robert Kelly to sell Bertie to Birmingham City in 1961, and in the same year he would appear in a European final for the first time with the Midlands club. Bertie played in the final of the Fair Cities Cup, where his Blues side were beaten by Italian giants Roma, but this would be great experience for him in later years to come. Despite the change of scenery, Auld still had his fiery temperament that could get him in a spot of bother in between his brilliant displays in midfield. One game in particular with Birmingham saw him sent off before punching Fulham's talisman Johnny Haynes. The wee man really wasn't afraid of taking anyone on. After 126 appearances and 26 goals for Bertie, Celtic signed him again in 1965 for £12,000 almost a quarter of a million pounds in today's money. At this time, the Celtic board had grown impatient with Jimmy McGrory after 20 years in the dugout at Celtic Park and made moves to bring in Hibernian's charismatic young manager, Jock Steen. Steen knew of Auld's talents and wanted him in his team, 
and it wouldn't be long before Steen and Auld had their hands on the Scottish Cup in 1965 after beating a strong and firmly athletic side at Hampden Park. Bertie Auld equalised twice that day to kickstart the Steen era, and without that victory, it is likely that many of the Celtic players who would go on to great things with the club would have ended up leaving for pastures new. The arrival of Steen at Celtic Park changed the entire landscape of Scottish football. In the late 1950s and early 1960s, Rangers had been the dominant Glasgow team, and other teams such as Hartford and Lothian, Dundee and Kilmarnock had also won league titles. It's no exaggeration to say that Celtic had been in the wilderness for a number of years, with the last trophy being the League Cup in 1957 at this point. Eight years without a trophy for Celtic seems unthinkable in the modern era, and it was Jock Steen's task to arrest this decline. Steen would turn Celtic from a soft touch into one of the continent's very best sides, and after winning the league in 1966, Celtic had a chance to show what they were made of in the European Cup. The Hoops made it all the way to the final in Lisbon in May 1967, where they would face off against Helenio Herrera's mighty Internazionale team. As Celtic lined up in the tunnel before the game, Inter stars must have thought they were in for an easy game when looking at Celtic's pale-skinned Scots, and must have laughed their heads off when Jock Steen told the world's press that his Celtic team were going to win the game. But when we Bertie Auld started singing the Celtic song, the rest of the Celtic players joined in and left the Italians confused as to what they were seeing. While some teams would have been beaten in the tunnel against Inter, Auld had just made sure that there was absolutely no chance of that happening. Despite Inter taking a lead through a penalty early in the game, Auld took a shot that hit the crossbar later in the first half. The second half would see Celtic turn it around with goals from Tommy Gemmell and Stevie Chalmers to win the Cup, and Celtic became the first British team to win the European Cup. Bertie would go on to play for Celtic until 1971, when he was transferred to Hibernian, where he was a Scottish Cup finalist in 1972, losing 6-1 to Celtic. Retiring from playing in 1973, Bertie moved into management with Partick Thistle in 1974, and it didn't take long for Thistle fans to warm to their new manager. Under old, Thistle would gain promotion to the Premier Division, and after leaving Thistle, Bertie returned to Easter Road as manager of Hibernian, where he would go on to repeat the same feat. Old also managed Hamilton Academical and Dumbarton, as well as having a second spell at Firhill. Following his retirement from management, Bertie remained active at Celtic as a club ambassador and was known for his stories and jokes at club events. In 2009, the wee man was inducted into the Scottish Football Hall of Fame at Hampden Park and in 2017, the remaining Lisbon Lions who had not previously been inducted joined him there. Despite being diagnosed with dementia in the summer of 2021, Bertie still enjoyed regaling people with stories about his playing days and management days. Bertie Old sadly passed away at the age of 83 on the 14th of November 2021. His passing was mourned by all within Scottish football, and the day after his death, Scotland fans paused for a moment's silence for both Bertie Old and Walter Smith before Scotland triumphed with a flawless 2-0 win 
over Denmark. To find out more about what Bertie Auld meant to Celtic fans, I spoke with Lindsay Hamilton. While Lindsay and I are of a generation born too late to have witnessed Bertie in full flow on the pitch, or even in the dugout, Lindsay tells us what Bertie Auld means to Celtic fans the world over. When did you first become aware of the Lisbon Lions, and in particular, when did you first become aware of Bertie Auld? I think there was always um, a sort of sense, yeah, like even when you were a kid, you know, my dad, my uncle, Manny would always talk about the Lisbon Lions and um, Bertie Old, we used to meet uh, a lot. I can't remember the name of the cafe and it's driving me bonkers because we don't go anymore, but we used to go all the time as a win and you would regularly see him in there um, and he would gab away at you and you were always aware of who Bertie was, but probably at that age I wasn't aware or he was actually a player and he played for Celtic and he did this great thing. He just, um, you know, seemed a wee character, a guy, but my family would always talk about Big Billy. You always knew who Big Billy was, Big Billy McNeil, obviously. Um, and uh, my uncle's favourite was Bobby Murdoch. He loved Bobby Murdoch. And I've kind of only came to realise in, in the later years and talking to folk at the museum and talking to people at Football Memories and stuff that Bobby Murdoch was probably one of the best players um, that this country ever produced. He's just a name that's kind of never, um, he's never really brought to the forefront, really, uh, when, when these things are mentioned. He never scored the goals in the final, he wasn't the captain, blah, blah, blah. He always came out at the back of the queue as well, so he's not really in many of the great photos from that day, the players walking out the tunnel. One of his big things was uh, being the last man out of the dressing room, so, um, but... Um, I that was probably you were always kind of aware, but I think when it came in a big way was on the fiftieth anniversary, because um, it was a big book launch and there was lots of media stuff around the club at Celtic at the time, and I actually went to go and see them. They, they released a book that year. I wish I could remember the name. It was obviously a Lisbon line something or other. Um, but uh, I I went to get it um, for my brother for his Christmas. And I said to my dad, I was doing a book signing and he happened to be off this day, so he took me down. And um, Bertie Old was there, Billy McNeil was there. I think Stevie Chalmers was there, Tommy Gemmel came over. So I met Tommy Gemmel before he recently passed as well, a few years ago. Um, and I remember distinctly Tommy Gemmel because he lived in Australia, I'm sure it was. And women's football is quite big in Australia, and I had my my kit on and all the rest of it. And I think I had I think I'd asked my dad, "Can I get a ball?" So I had a ball, and I had my brother's book, and I uh, was getting it signed. And he was like, "Do you play wee woman, Barbara?" And I says, "Ah, places you stick at it. The lassies are doing well; they're getting paid and stuff now. You stick at it." Uh, since I never did. Uh, I'm playing Sunday league and playing football, and then drinking a pint on a Sunday. But I always remember Big Tommy Gemmel saying, "Oh, you go for it, hen. Uh, good on you." Um, I think I think Jim Craig was there as well. That was the ones I remember. Um, but I, they were all brilliant. They all, they all took time to talk to you. There was this huge queue outside the shop. They were in the shop, the Celtic shop at Celtic Park. Queue was snaked all the way around. We must have waited a good over an hour to get in to see them. Bearing in mind, there were still old guys like then as well, and they took the time and. It wasn't just a right, there's a quick sign, woof, move on. They were talking to every single person. They wanted it took an hour <laughs> over an hour in the queue because they were really taking the time with folk and taking pictures with folk. And unfortunately, the time I didn't have a phone and my dad uh, is completely a technophobe, so he wouldn't have had one either, uh, except some old 
probably Nokia something that didn't even take photos. Um, so I never get a picture of them. But um, over the years, I've had photos with, with a few of them. But um, it was amazing. It was, it was amazing. It really, really was. Uh, and that was probably when it came to the when I had I had more of a pride about it because I knew what it was and what it meant. And there was loads of stories that came out. So I, it was around about the 50th anniversary. Um, and it was just brilliant. And every time, even now, I'm, I'm 27 now, and uh, even at, when on the 67th minute when we do the old light show and stuff, whether it's in Europe or cup games or league games, I still find myself getting emotional because it's just the best achievement, I think. There really should be a blockbuster movie about it, if I'm being honest. I don't think you're ever going to find a sports team um, where 11 of the, the guys were 30 miles outside the one city. Um, I, I, I don't know if that's ever been replicated um, in, in any sport, whether it's hockey or basketball or American football or any such things. I, I can't even get anything like it. Um, so I, there's just a sense of pride there now. When I was younger, it was probably just, oh, there's a star above the badge. What does that mean? Getting old stories through uncle and dad and auntie and whatever else but I around about the 50th that's when there was a an overload you know all these stories were coming out and all the books and all the media and it was brilliant it was just great I think you've answered what my next question was going to be which was how important you feel the Lisbon Lions are to Celtic as a club in the modern era but from what you've said it seems that the modern era of Celtic is kind of defined by the Lisbon Lions and players like Bertie Old, Tommy Gemmel, Billy McNeil, Bobby Murdoch, just because they will always be the benchmark of quality, the ones who did what no Scottish team has managed to do since as well, despite some clubs coming fairly close within years. So I'll move on then. Um, do you have any family members who saw Bertie play or saw him when he was a manager of any clubs? Yeah, I think my, I think my uncle Eddie would have seen him play um, I don't know about my dad. My dad might have been too. We were actually talking about this the other night, um, and I don't think he'd seen Betty play. He'd seen he'd seen Jinky play, um, but I, I don't think he'd seen he'd seen Betty. I would have seen him in management most definitely um, at the Jags and at uh, Hibs. Probably most likely the Jags because it was the first division. I think it was second division. I'm trying to remember now. Yeah, um, first I'm, division. I'm, First, first division, yeah. So I'm sure he would have, um, he would have seen um, very old then. Um, my dad comes to that neck of the woods. I come from North Glasgow, so uh, we, the both years, will often go and see the Jags if, if uh, we've got a wee bit of time. Um, so I'm sure he would have seen him in, in management. Um, but no, unfortunately, I don't think they ever saw him um, actually pull on a pull on a jersey. It was a wee bit just beyond uh, their time, but. Uh, Bertie started off at um, Celtic. He'd uh, been a North Glasgow boy from Mary Hill. He had a loan at Dumbarton for a year just so Jimmy McGrory could see him toughen up and get used to senior football, having been a junior player before, but then sold him in 1961 to Birmingham City, given that he had a relatively poor disciplinary record at the time. Do you think that that spell away in Birmingham and having a different footballing culture would have helped to make him a better player? I mean, I, I don't know much about the league at the time, so it's hard to say, but he definitely came back with uh, a wise head and a bit of an, uh, an impetus about him. So it must have done something. I don't think it massively changed uh, 
he, his, uh, his character and his attitude in any way. He was always known to be hot-headed. This Bob Kelly didn't like, really, that he was he was a hot-headed guy. Um, that was probably the main reason why he'd had enough and, and sent him sent him on. Um, there was talk that it was it was Jock, Steen and Sean Fallon. Sean Fallon really, really liked him, wanted to bring him back. He came back just before Steen had been officially appointed, but Steen was always in and about the club, so I think... It was it was um, definitely on their shoulders, especially Sean Fallon's, that they wanted them back. But there's a great story. So I actually put a tweet out, um, you know, just to mark, you know, he's he's deaf and say how absolutely gutted I was. So I really, really was gutted, and I am gutted about it. Um, but unfortunately, these things happen. Um, but I put a tweet out, and, and somebody got back to me and reminded me of a story um, where he, he basically uh, nutted the first £100 player down in England, Johnny Hayes. Um, and I always remember, I actually remember reading about it years ago, and it just, you probably now would like hark at something about, like, oh my God, he's stuck the nut in him, that's terrible. But there was just something, it was just a different playing day, uh, a different time. And um, I he stuck the big he he stuck the heat on Johnny Hayes while playing for Birmingham, and uh, his pal Johnny Hayes' teammate Morris Cook then came over. He wasn't too pleased about it, and I think he knocked him out and all. And he just sort of walks off the pitch. He's obviously been sent off. Uh, it was a game against Fulham, but uh, he just kind of walks off as if I don't care. Uh, Johnny Hayes was like the movie star player of the day, first hundred hundred pound a week player. And he just didn't care, didn't care, didn't give a jot and was like, you're not going to be putting me up and down the park or taking the mickey. And um, he was known for it, do you know what I mean? He, he did it then, uh, there's the, the classic, um, in, in Monte, Monte, I can't even, can never say it. Monte, Montevideo. <laughs> Montevideo, can, can never pronounce it correctly. Um, you know, he, he gets sent off and he refuses, he's like, I'm not going anywhere, I'm not leaving this park, stays stays on the pitch. Um it was just one of those guys you didn't you didn't mess with him. So I think that attitude was always there. He was just a wee, a wee gallus guy for Glasgow and nobody's gonna mess with him or his pals and that's the way that he, he was and the way that he is. And um but I there must have been something about him because everybody says he came back in a, a different a different mindset um to to the one that he left with. But I think that just comes with age, doesn't it? It just comes with being a wee bit more wiser. It was probably a case he did all the same things, but he just knew how to not get caught <laughs> doing the same things, um, my guess is. Um, but yeah, there must have been something about it to to go and elevate his career. And at the end of the day, I mean, he won a League Cup um, and he also made it to the, the Intercities Fairs Cup as well, albeit the lost the final to, to Roma. But, um, you know, that's quite an achievement in itself. And this is the thing about Bertie, I think everybody, when you think about Bertie, obviously, naturally, you think about Celtic, but he kind of did it everywhere else as well. He was he was successful at Birmingham, and he'll be known um, fondly down, remembered fondly, sorry, down there as well. And then, as you say, he goes into management, and he does well with Parthet Fissel, and not many people can say that, and Bertie can. Um, and he also did well with Hibs. So, I there's there's... He definitely had had something about him, and I'm sure that experience, especially the experience in Europe, to get to the Inter City's first cup um, final, um, it must have held him in good stead when when it came to um, elevating Celtic in Europe as well. So yeah, yeah. 
Add to that as well, he became the first Scottish player to play in a European final when he played for Birmingham City, which I think is a brilliant bit of uh, trivia too. Um, yeah, definitely. That's a pub quiz question right there. I actually didn't know that until um, you'd, you'd said that there. So, I, I mean, what an achievement. And again, that's probably something that's not... I think there'll be a few people listening there that go, is that, is that true? And they'll go and be checking their notes and stuff. But uh, that's certainly a, a massive achievement. Um and I unfortunately, I suppose that he didn't win it. I think it was four two. But um, what can you do? Um, the role is... team at the time were just great. So you know, yes. you, when you come up against a great team, you know. However, like you say, I think it probably did stand them well when going into the final in nineteen sixty seven. But just before that, we mentioned that uh, Jock Steen and Sean Fallon then um, were very probably involved in. Uh, Bertie making his way back to Parkhead to sign for Celtic in 1965. Then March, April of that year, Jock Steen's announced Jimmy McDonough's out the door after 20 years. Suddenly, it's the cup final. Dunfermline are playing against Celtic and Dunfermline are a very good team at the time who came very close to causing an upset in the league that season. And, you know, who scores two of the goals when Celtic win 3-2? Bertie Old. Yeah. Um, so would you say that his arrival alongside the arrival of Stephen Fallon really was the dawning of a new era at Celtic? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that cup final is most definitely the spark for everything that... All the history that was made came for this final. Um, came back for being from two goals. Came back twice, sorry, um, from being from being down. Betty Old scores two goals, and of course the the big man steps up as he as he often did. Big Billy McNeil to thunder home a head on. We win the 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 final. It was huge, and it wasn't huge because um, you know that Celtic win the cup, and it brought this togetherness. And it was shortly after that they go on the the six week um, holiday, um, to, uh, to, sorry tour of, of North America. Um, and, and all the rest of it, and it just brings about this this togetherness. Um, but as well as that, it's um, there was so many, there was such, there was loads of talk around that time of folk wanted to leave. They just had enough. Celtic weren't going anywhere. Um, the place had became stale. Um, I believe Chalmers wanted to leave. Um, Billy McNeil wasn't too pleased either. He was kind of ready for a move. I'm sure it was Bobby Lennox was was. Um, ready to emigrate somewhere. He was for the off, you know, fully. Um, um, just really, the, the place was falling apart. And can you imagine that the difference, the, the, the story would never have been if all these great guys go off and their names maybe not have been remembered. They would have been all, all over different clubs in Scotland and England or whatever else. And um, it was Jock Steen. Jock Steen came in. He was the first kind of tracksuit manager, so to speak. Um, at Celtic in, in any way, you know, gave them a ball at training, my God. But it wasn't a thing. Players turned up and they ran track. They ran up the stairs at the grounds. They um, or ran up the terraces at the ground, I should say, no stairs. But, um, it, you know, it wasn't a thing. And then this guy came in and said, right, here's a ball Monday to Friday and just improved the whole place. And I think that speaks um, volumes, actually, when you think on it, of... Um, Sean Fallon and potentially the influence of Jock Steen bringing Bertie back before Jock Steen's even in post. 
there's already this like lining up your your ducks and getting everything in order. He knew the people that he wanted. He knew the characters that he wanted. And the thing with Jock is that he knew how to deal with all of them. They were all very different. There was, it is the sort of cliche, but you do have the sort of Gallus and Bertie and wee Jinky, who was a, <laughs> a troublemaker, uh, to say the least. And you had to keep tabs on him. And Jock did it ever so well with a network of spies in every Glasgow pub you know, that was <laughs> known to, to man. Um, whereas you've got Billy McNeil, somebody you probably didn't need to worry about, uh, but um, also could be quite a thundery character, you know. You know, uh, if there was a disagreement in the dressing room, he'd quite happily have, a, have an argument with you about it. Um, to then quieter sort of players, you know, probably your Jim Craig, your John Clarks, you know, your sort of quiet man at the back, um, just gets on with the job. And... Jockstein just knew how to deal with all of them, um, which must have been a task, <laughs> to say the least. What a bunch of, of absolute misfits. But um, I think that speaks volumes that he already was like, we need to get, we need to bring Jock back. Because obviously Jock left as well, uh, you know, and the decision was made to bring Jock back. This guy's special, um, probably the most special of them all. Get uh, Bertie Old back again, another, spe another special footballer as well. I keep talking about his character and whatever else, but Bertie and Bobby Murdoch were the engine behind the, you know, most most folk, you know, most football people will know. You can win the mid midfield battle, you'll, you'll most likely give yourself a good odds on chance to win the game. And with Bobby Murdoch and Bertie Old um, and your, your midfield, you, you're laughing, to be honest. Um, just absolutely brilliant. So I, I, I think, um, sorry, we'll talk about the cup final though. It was the big one because if that hadn't been won and if Jock hadn't came back, um, you're probably finding most of those players were, were going off ski elsewhere because Celtic were not up to anything at all. There was nothing, nothing going on. And um, I, fortunately, um, it, it went, it panned out the way that it did. And um, yeah, I think with the Lisbon Lions, it's not just a victory for for Celtic. It's a victory for for this city and for Scotland. You know, it's a Scotland eleven at the end of the day that went out and did what they did. And um, as I say before, I can only echo it, but there's that. I don't think that's ever been repeated. Happy to be proven wrong, but I I can't think of any um, example of a group of um, guys that have came through a, such a, a small. Uh, came within such a small distance of, of one another or uh, came from one country from a, a club perspective at club level to achieve what they achieved um, it's quite it's quite something so yeah Now obviously that game the cup final in 1965 was the catalyst Celtic then go on win the league in 1966 which then puts them into the European Cup um, and in the final, of course, they're going up against Helenio Herrera's Grande Interside, who, um, you know, you have fantastic players within there. Not to say that Celtic didn't have fantastic players, whilst they may have seemed like underdogs. You then suddenly have um, Jimmy Johnson saying to Bertie Aldo, these guys look like movie stars. He's like, aye, but we can beat them and start singing the Celtic song. I mean, if it hadn't been for Bertie Old singing, doing something as simple as singing a song, to unnerve the the Inter players and going, what the hell are these guys all about? Then, um, do you think it could have been a different result on the day? 
I mean, nobody tells the story better than him. I must have seen umpteen videos of him down the tunnel, you know, now, you know, re reliving it and recreating it. And he always says, oh, we, we were all having a laugh in the tunnel. We were all knocking one another on the shoulders and all that, tapping one another on the shoulders and jeeing one another up. And um, that is the sort of the best one. And I seen hundreds of people the other day on social media tweeting it and posting it and whatever else. You know, aye, but can they play? But can they play, wee man? You know, that's what it's, you know, we jinky turn and he's like, look at them better, they look like movie stars. And every, everybody talks about even Billy McNeil was like, they were just immaculate, you know, the, this blue and black jersey and they had shiny hair. It's kind of like that Billy Conley sketch, they were shiny people, you know, all tanned and all the rest of it, you know, we just didn't look like them. Bloody Ronnie Simpson's got his falsers out and his bonnet and all the rest of it, do you know what I mean? He's protecting his false teeth. You know, no, they teeth and his and his mouth and these guys are all immaculate tans and big bronze sculpture looking guys and um that was it you know Jinky said you know oh, they look like movie stars Bert and he's like aye but can they play and there's that brilliant video that just the footage of them coming at the tunnel and Jimmy Johnston's pointing out uh, the, the inter players going you mark me you mark me good luck you know good luck mark me you can see them pointing across you don't see that even now. Other players are that bloody tense and dra dramatising the whole Champions League thing and all the rest of it. Like, they don't interact. And if they do, I mean, the thing, the cheeky it now is that they'll shake one another's horns and hug one another if they're national team players and all the rest of it. And then, I, you know, and that's, that's fair play and all the rest of it and good sportsmanship, but sometimes it would be just pure gallus if somebody, you know, was looking you up and down in a tunnel going, aye, good luck, Mark and me today, son. You know, it's kind of gone, just that getting into folks' folks' heads about things. And there was so much of that, even Jockstein before the final. Um, I've heard stories about they were playing a, a mock-up uh, training game, I think it was the day before, and then I came out to watch them. And he just shuffled the players a bit. We had, like, wee jinky in defence and Billy McNeil up top and, you know, like, just play them out, just throw them off. Um it's just, I felt like I've definitely read that and stuff for, and it's just, there's three things like that. And, um, you know, Jockstein, who would do this now, a day before the final? And he was like, I'm going to tell Herrera exactly what I'm going to do. And he told him, he went for the full team, how he was going to do it. Mourinho wouldn't do that now. Guardiola wouldn't do that now. Jürgen Klopp would certainly not do that now. There's not a chance in hell you would do that. On saying that as well, um, Herrera really led to his own downfall because a few years before that, Willie Waddle and Jock Steen both went out to Inter on a kind of like, um, they were invited actually by Inter to see, come and see how we do it. And Herrera went over things and um, and ultimately that was to lead to his downfall because at that point, Steen was the Dunfermline manager mm -hmm. and Herrera was probably just like, ah, well, we'll give them a bit of hospitality, maybe maybe we'll be friends, that kind of thing. And then a few years later, oh, here I am, here to steal your cup. Yeah, no, so, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, the student becomes the master, so to speak, if he wasn't yeah. already the, the upcoming master. But yeah. I, it's, it's wee things like that. And um, the, thing, the, the other thing as well is I don't think people realise as much as Celtic winning the European Cup was such a big deal, but that that final absolutely broke the spirit of Inter for years and years because after that you know it was like that final did something to Herrera's psyche where Inter were never quite the same and if you look at the clubs that Herrera managed over his time 
it was never the same afterwards, you know, it was never the same Grandi Inter of, because um, this club at the time, if they'd won in 1967, they would have completed what they called a tripletta, where mm. they'd, won it, um, they'd won it twice previously, and this was them going for it again, and, you know, that would have confirmed them as possibly Italy's greatest ever club side, but because of that final, there's still debate as to, to who was, and it's all down to the collective effort of the Celtic eleven and Jockstein's clever preparation. Now, yeah. in terms of management, Bertie moved into management after he was finished his career. He finished his career um, after two years at Hibs in 1973, went into coaching with Partick Thistle and management, sorry, with Partick Thistle in 1974. Obviously, he would have learned a thing or two from Jockstein and playing under him for years. But how much do you think Bertie's success at Firhill was down to his personality and just being who he was, i.e. knowing how to get column inches out of the Glasgow papers when normally they'd be talking about Rangers and Celtic and instead there's wee Bertie talking up the Jags. Aye, he is just absolutely, I don't know, pantomime, I suppose. But he just is, he's just, he's just brilliant. Um, and I, I think he's the absolute right fit for Partick First. So I don't think it would shock anybody that that's... That was his next move. And he was a big Jags fan. He grew up a Jags fan. You know, Panmuir Street looks over um, for Hill. And um, uh, it, it would have always been a, I'm sure probably a, a sense of pride for him as well. And he was there for so long. He was there for six seasons, do you know what I mean? And um, he's just the absolute right fit. Party official fans are a particular um, breed of people. You need you need a good sense of humour and you need stickability and that he's got that in, in abundance and he's also just a wee fighter so it makes complete sense that he's um, got his elbows out and he's trying to dig uh, through the, the the old firm Celtic Rangers um, monopoly and, and make sure that his side is, is getting talked up and, and all the rest of it and um, I, he's just the absolute uh, right fit for it and it doesn't at all shock me He's successful there and popular there. Actually, um, there's been a an image doing the rounds recently of a mural um, up at Maryhill at the minute. Um, with he's actually in Celtic colours, right enough, but I think it's very fitting that it was it was placed at, at Maryhill. I've not quite found it yet. I'm going to go have a nosy for it. Um, hopefully over the weekend. Um, but I think that's a very nice tribute um, to. He wouldn't have wanted it anywhere else. He was a Mary Hill boy. Um, I used to, you know, I, I can't remember the name of the cafe. We'd meet him after games, but I have as well seen him in Jack and Ellie's. And if you don't know what Jack and Ellie's is, you, you need to bloody go. It's uh, a wee cafe. It's been there for, for absolute donkey's years and it's near for Hill. It's, um, if you walk at the front entrance uh, for Hill, um, it's, it's straight road down on the right-hand side, Jack and Ellie's cafe. It's... It's uh, famous. It was in train spotting as well. Uh, he was interviewed there many a time uh, for Celtic TV and stuff as well. And um, I, it's he it, it just he's just part of Mary Hill. He's just one of those guys. He never lost his roots. There was a great video actually. I mean, I wish I remember where it was. It must have been about the Lisbon Lions as a whole. So I feel I feel like it was only maybe five years ago or something. Um, and he, he used to play football for the Panmure boys, which would have been a, a, a boys' club out in Maryhill. And they had a wee chant. And I wish I could remember the words and sing it for you, but I don't. But 
he st- I, mean, I loved a sing song. We were just talking about the Celtic song down the tunnel. And I hope at the weekend, Celtic are playing in the League Cup um, semi final at the weekend. And I hope, and I think the rumour mill is that we'll be singing the Celtic song. I think throughout the game anyway, but I think there might be a tribute at 10. At ten thirty, or as close to, because of course it was wee Betty ten thirty, which I actually had to explain to my mum the other day. She was like, "What's this ten thirty? And I was like, "Wee Betty." And as soon as I said it, she was like, "Makes complete sense." And um, but anyway, there's a great video um, of him singing this song about the Panmure boys, and he remembered everything about it, and remembered that that his teammates and all the rest of it. And um, I, he's just a merry old boy. Just knows everything about it. He's so fond the Pamir Street. His mum used to have a, a a bakery, I believe it was called Olds. Which funny, there is a bakery now called Olds, and it's quite famous. But this was obviously just the family one, and she ran it, and it was a Mary Hill Road. Um, so I think even for that, he always had a sort of lovely, a greasy spoon cafe. Because as I'm saying, this is where we went post game. It was in the East End, though, and it's going to annoy me what it was called, but. Um, and he obviously did go to Jack and Ellie's a lot as well, which is oh, an absolute staple in Glasgow and you need to go. Um, but I just a brilliant guy. Um and as well the, the starring the starring Garter pub, um, which many a for how uh, sorry, a party official fan will know. And Celtic fans will know as well because the better old CSC comes out of there too, and it's fun enough in Mary Hill. And um, I actually think there's a bit of me- uh, memorabilia and stuff in there about Bertie and um, he's just he's just brilliant, man. He's he's the absolute spirit of Celtic Football Club. And as much as he was a Jags fan, um, he's a boy and all the rest of it. If, I think he's a a quintessential Celtic fan now. He's just the spirit of the club, uh, a real a real character. And um, but I of course he's he's roots are in, in uh, Maryhill and Fardhill and with the Jags and um. Uh, if you get a chance to have a wee walk about Mary Hill, you should be able to find the mural that's been put up um, in, in his honour, uh, which I think is very, very fitting um, for a guy who absolutely lived and breathed the, the area. And lastly, just to finish things off, do you think that the modern game could do with some more characters along Bertie Old's mould, just like him? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. He was a maverick, man. He was an absolute maverick. He... he um, did, did everything football, won everything, um, but he was just a pure character. He's just this wee Glasgow guy that didn't take any nonsense. Had great power. I mean, there's so many stories, but uh, for him winding up, um, John Gregg, I think I was t- talking to you about this story the other day, but you know, there was that great story. He told it in Bird's Bar once, um, you know, John Gregg, he was playing up against Rangers. I think this might have been actually on the park. He said, you know, Big John Gregg said, oh, what's your bonus today, wee man? And Bertie said, oh, three pound, three pound. You know, he was, you know, he was chuffed with that. And John Gregg, you know, was like, ah, oh, we're on six. And he's like, aye, but yours is guaranteed, <laughs> you know? And it's just brilliant, man. Just, he had a big old, again, big derby games, you know, they put the fear of God in people even now. You know, players are eye nervous to play in these games. The Rangers captain, like, uh, sorry, two seasons ago was saying, you know, how nerve-wracking these games are. And this is now, you know, and probably say the quality of football back then between the two of them and the fact there was no the, the, rules really back then. You could boot whoever, you know, up and down the park and that's just the way it was. And crowds were imposing, you know, massive, massive crowds and uh, drunk crowds at that too. You know, the atmosphere must have been crazy. And uh, 
he's walking onto the park with Rangers, you know, captain, big imposing, John Gregg, Mr. Rangers, and then having a wee having a wee dig at him, you know, it's it's brilliant. Thanks to Lindsay for speaking with us, and their condolences go out to Bertie Old's friends and family at this time. The rise of walking football in Scotland has become a real success story over the past few years, with the sport going from strength to strength. On Monday the 15th of November, Glasgow Life hosted a dementia walking football festival at the Tory Glen Regional Football Centre, which showcased the benefits of both walking football and football memories. I spoke with Matt Ramsey from Glasgow Life at the event to find out more. I'm speaking with Matt Ramsey from Walking Football Scotland. First of all, Matt, how did you get involved in walking football? I get involved with walking football through my own job with Glasgow Life. Um, I inherited walking football as part of a programme that came into my remit. Um, at that time, we only had one session a week. Um, and now we've grown to be the biggest walking football programme across the country. Um, we have about 14, 15 sessions a week. Um, and that roughly averaging about 200 um, participants a week that are taking part in Glasgow. How does walking football differ from a regular game of fives or sevens or what have you? It's a lot more than the game. It's a lot more than guys just turning up and playing. Um, these guys that are coming along to sessions, a lot of times, don't know each other. Um, and it's through walking football they're, they're making new friends and um, they're enjoying the, health, the many health benefits, uh, physically, mentally, and the social interaction that they're getting that they wouldn't normally have. These guys are in their 50s, 60s, um, and some... Uh, their 70s so for these guys alone getting out and playing football again is massive to their life and today is a, a dementia walking football festival um, how can people with dementia benefit from walking football we at Glasgow Life um, have been very fortunate that the Maclay Dementia Trust um, funded us for a new dementia walking football programme for, for the next three years. Um, so we have a weekly session here at Tory Glen on a Wednesday between 10 and 12 o'clock. We have a bit of activity on the pitch um, and then we go up and we, we do kind of through the support of Football Memories Scotland we, we do a Football Memories programme um, and reminiscing for, the, for the, those who attend as well. Excellent. And we've had some famous faces today such as Craig Brown and Gordon Smith here. Uh, how did you get them involved with the programme? These guys have been very faithful to us with regards to walking football and the promotion of walking football. Um, and when I spoke to all of the gents, they were very, very keen to, to be involved and be part of this today because they know how much it means to so many people. Um, so they are more than willing to come and give something back to the game as well. I also spoke to Blair James one of our excellent tour guides from the Scottish Football Museum at Hamden Park about his participation in walking football sessions and about the enjoyment he got from the sport. I'm here at the Tory Glen Regional Football Centre with Blair James. Blair is one of our tour guides at the Scottish Football Museum at Hamden Park and also participated in the walking football festival today. So firstly, Blair, how did you enjoy your game? Oh, it was wonderful today. A lot of great camaraderie and the guys all seemed to enjoy it. It didn't matter what level you're at, but everyone seemed to have entered into the good spirit of it. It was really, really a worthwhile event. Excellent. What are the main differences, do you think, between regular five-a-sides and walking football? Well, I think uh, five-a-side football, you can't really hide very much. Uh, it's very competitive, whereas walking football's at a more relaxed level. And I think uh, once you get older, you enjoy you know, playing at that. that. Five-a-sides is just far too competitive. 
How did you get involved in walking football in the first place? Walking football, uh, it's a long history, but um, I played full-time in an over-50s team at, at, up at uh, Springburn from 1993-2015 when I had to have a hip replacement. So I was out of playing football for a couple of years. Saw an advert in a newspaper, I think. So in June 2017, I joined up at Berlin Houston Sports Centre. And I've been there, apart from the COVID situation, <laughs> since June 2017. And it's really good uh, to bring up the level of your fitness. Plus the fact you meet other guys in similar situations and it's, it's mushroom from that. Yeah. Excellent. And given that today's uh, football festival, are there any big names that were in your team today or that you played against? John Rowbottom, the referee. Uh, Gordon Smith was there for a fleeting moment and then he disappeared. Maybe to a bigger game, I don't know. Maybe he's going somewhere today because of the, the game at Hamden. So maybe he had limited time. Uh, Archie McPherson walked on to our game, but he didn't actually play. So. Thanks to both Matt and Blair for speaking to us. If you'd like to find out more about walking football sessions near you, visit the Walking Football Scotland site, walkingfootballscotland.org, or send them an email at info at walkingfootballscotland.org. At the start of this episode, we asked you how many major honours Bertie Old won during his playing career. The answer is 14 with 13 of those honours being won at Celtic. The only trophy outside of his time at Celtic Park came when he was at Birmingham City, where he won the League Cup by beating Aston Villa over two legs. At Celtic, Bertie won five consecutive league titles, three Scottish Cups and four Scottish League Cups, as well as the European Cup in 1967. In addition to this, he lifted the Glasgow Cup on two occasions in 1965 and 1967 with Celtic. Bertie also won the Scottish First Division as a manager on two occasions, firstly in 1976 with Partick Thistle and in 1981 with Hibernian. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Scottish Football Citizen. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And join us again next week when we'll be looking back at more of the best of Scottish football from the past. If you'd like an extra football fix in your inbox every Tuesday, you can subscribe to Football Memories Scotland's weekly newsletter, The Football Special, and receive an email full of excellent pictures and stories from days gone by. To find out more, email lindsay at lindsay Hamilton at scottishfootballmuseum.org.uk The Scottish Football Citizen is written, edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland in association with Alzheimer's Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr, Lindsay Hamilton and Richard McBrearty. Additional material from BBC Sports Scotland, STV Sport, Glasgow Times and The Times of London. Thanks to Lindsay Hamilton, Matt Ramsey and Blair James for speaking to the podcast.